Everyday grocery store items like bananas, chocolate, coffee, these are global commodities. They pass through a lot of people's hands on their way from the fields to your grocery cart. This is the stories behind our food podcast, the podcast where expert guests share insider knowledge about every step along the process. I'm Danielle Robidoux. And I'm Kate Chess. And we're your hosts. Today, I'm excited to talk with Joe Maxwell about independent family farms. They're going extinct. Corporations control everything from seeds to supply and prices, while chipping away at regulations that inform and protect consumers. It has left the independent food economy, especially farmers, devoid of oxygen. How can we change the rules of the game? In this episode, join myself, Kate Chess, and Joe Maxwell the executive director for the Organization of Competitive Markets. We will explore how big food hurts American farmers, workers, and shoppers. We will discuss how Joe's history as a hog farmer and legislator has shaped his work in the food system and provide action steps so you can get involved too. Very excited to have Joe on the podcast here. If you had maybe one minute to tell the listeners what what would be an elevator pitch on why you think this work is important? If you had one minute, what, what might you tell a listener? Absolutely. And one, we want to thank you all for the opportunity to be on and for all those listening in. Um, it's extremely important because today, independent family agriculture and the family farmers and ranchers uh, that operate within uh, independent agriculture are on the verge of going bankrupt and being made extinct uh, by the actions and policies at our state capitals and in Washington, D.C. And unfortunately, their voice is drowned out by big agriculture, industrial agriculture, and we need your help. We need it today, and we need to join forces if the family farmers of America are going to survive, and they're the ones that can have the ability and capacity to deliver the safe, healthy food that we know consumers like you are looking for. Thank you, Joe. That's that's awesome. I re- really love working with OCM, uh, Organization for Competitive Markets. But maybe maybe we'll kind of get into what what is OCM? Kind of how did you become connected to them, and your history there? Organization for Competitive Markets. OCM is a twenty year old organization uh, that works uh, with family farmers and ranchers across the country. It's a national organization, and it strives uh, to uh, reinforce policies uh, and advocacy that support independent family agriculture. Uh, We push back against the power in the marketplace that multinational food companies now have uh, in an effort to give a space uh, so that our farmers, the what we believe and history will show and does show, are the good stewards of the land, the animals, uh, our environment, and their neighbors. Uh, give them a space so they can operate, stay in business, and deliver healthy, safe food uh, for America's consumers. That's great. And I know that you folks are working on a few different projects, obviously, uh, as an organizer for Equal Exchange, I'm really excited about the project that we're working on together. So, yeah, maybe can we talk a little bit about uh, the food and agribusiness bill and kind of why you think this path is a, a good step forward for 
the U.S. food system specifically. Absolutely. And I know many folks that are probably listening are familiar with uh, the recent mega mergers such as Bayer, Monsanto, um, yeah. these mergers that came over the last several years have so uh, concentrated uh, these the power of the market and those that control uh, the very uh, inputs for the production of our food. Today, after these uh, Bayer, Monsanto type mega mergers, over 70% of seed corn, just as an example, is controlled by two companies. Uh, we see that as much as 95% of agricultural seed uh, now will bear the Bayer Monsanto traits uh, so that additional Roundup can be sprayed on the crops. Uh, and uh, so it's linking the chemicals uh, to the actual seed and forcing farmers to have no choice in the market to have uh, the ability to produce uh, more sustainable uh, type grains. We also are looking right now uh, in, your, um, in the protein side, uh, folks like uh, Brazil's JBS and Brazil's Marfrig are now two of the top four uh, beef producers in the United States that control over 80% of that market. Uh, we also see Smith, China now owns Smithfield, and it controls over 25% of the pork production in this country. Uh, the problem uh, with those statistics is not that we don't want to support farmers and ranchers uh, across the globe, but the fact uh, when these uh, dominating forces come into the U.S. market, they're also in the world market, and they're dictating to every farmer and rancher uh, price, they're dictating to the consumer the choices that they'll have in the grocery stores. And so uh, we see it's time to hit the pause button on uh, these mega mergers and these acquisitions within uh, the agricultural sector, beverage and food manufacturing and retail. Uh, we believe that until we do, workers will not see justice, farmers and ranchers will not see justice, nor will uh, the consumer. So we're working hard to get the U.S. Congress and the Senate and the House uh, to, to stop uh, these acquisitions and mergers and take a deep look at the harm that's being caused to our economy, uh, to the farmers and ranchers, the workers, the environment. Take a look at this and uh, put in place the safeguards necessary to have a fair and open market that delivers health, healthy and safe foods. Uh, to to consumers, not only here in the U.S., but around the world. Wow, that's that's great. It sounds like, so it sounds to me like this bill is going to kind of give the economy a chance to pause, right? A chance to breathe, you know, a lot of the, the concentration, it's almost like sucking oxygen out of the room for, for independent business. I, I'm just curious for, like, on an, as an individual, what what is you know, why, why exactly is consolidation bad on an individual level? What is the impact on the human level of concentration, right? Like all those statistics that you just mentioned, wow, like that's, you know, all those percentages, but what does that really mean on an individual level? You know, I'm a consumer, I'm, I'm shopping at my store. Why, why is consolidation bad for me? Right, well, first you also mentioned businesses uh, this heavy concentration is driving out 
small businesses and denying uh, men and women the opportunity to enter uh, into the food sector. Uh, so uh, it, it denies uh, individuals to fulfill their dream of having their own business, uh, to process foods, to uh, package foods, and to deliver a high quality, healthy food to their neighbors. How does that, obviously the reverse of that, right, is that we know that here in the U.S. and, and um, also globally, uh, that individual eaters uh, care about where their food comes from. Yeah. Uh, there's a rising concern, legitimate concern. Research is uh, already in uh, that uh, the way in which industrial agriculture globally is producing food, it's killing us. Uh, they, uh, they have a care for their bottom line, uh, but they don't have a care, uh, an equal care for the folks that they're actually feeding. And so when you wake up in the morning and you think about what am I going to have for breakfast and you think about how, what your kids and children uh, should have for breakfast, um, you, you go to your grocery store and you can't find that healthy food because too few companies, uh, as few as four companies, regardless of the number of brands or labels that's on that grocery shelf, it's really controlled by roughly four companies. And they're not giving you the healthy choice. They're giving you the choice that most efficiently produces that uh, calories in that box or on that shelf uh, that puts the most money in their pocket. And so consumers wake up every day and are denied opportunity. We also know, especially in the U.S. Um, and Europe, the, um, the consumers also trust the voice of those local farmers and ranchers. Uh, they trust that, uh, that that historical, traditional family farm uh, type agriculture uh, cares about them. And uh, they not only wanna do it for themselves uh, out of being able to have healthy choices for themselves and their families, but they want to help those farmers. And we are very, very thankful for everyone that has that position. Uh, that they are willing to step up and want justice, not only food justice for themselves, but justice for America's family farmers and ranchers, that they'll be treated fairly in the marketplace, that they will have an opportunity to be the sixth or seventh generation. Um, we have uh, all of us, uh, the staff members here, uh, Angela Huffman is our director of communications and research. I'll always goof this up, but she, her and her family have been on their farm for over 190 years. Wow. wow. Un, uh, who works for us, her family still owns a multi-century farm uh, in, in Europe. And uh, they, uh, you know, we, we as farmers, I, I'm a fourth generation family farmer from Missouri. And, you know, we care about our land. We want to uh, hand it down to the next generation that will feed our neighbors uh, better than what we found it. Uh, we want to care for those animals and we're not allowed to do that. And we know all those issues are of interest to the consumer, not just the fact they they want justice on the food shelves, but they want justice for those people that have that kind of value, that kind of caring spirit uh, as they till the soil or raise the, raise the animals. That seems like a great thing about OCM that 
folks who are involved with the organization have a personal stake. Can you tell us, Joe, a little bit about what your background as a farmer, like how that affects this work that you're doing? Yeah, it's, it's extremely personal um, in that I uh, have lived um, the decline of independent family agriculture in the U.S. Uh, we were thriving in the late 70s, uh, and then there were policy changes in Washington, D.C. Uh, that began to erode the market opportunity, the fairness and equity uh, within the marketplace uh, for farmers like myself. Um, my uh, great-granddad uh, uh, plowed the original uh, prairie land under uh, in Missouri, and my grandpa and my dad uh, farmed that, as do my brother and myself. Now, I take my hat off. My brother is the true American farmer. I do a lot of this work and go <laughs> home and, and, and more pretend I'm a farmer, so I want to take my hat off to uh, my brother Steve. Uh, he is uh, the true spirit of what makes American agriculture uh, great. Uh, but I have lived that and have seen since uh, the early 80s uh, this further concentration, these uh, uh, lax enforcement of antitrust laws that have allowed monopolies to begin to control uh, the food sector. Uh, with that, market power brings economic power to them. Uh, that economic power brings them political influence or political power. And so uh, they have now gained a lock, uh, a control over the policies uh, dictated by our elected officials in Washington, D.C. And so uh, over uh, that 30-year span or so, I have seen us go from a thriving marketplace where consumers had choice and justice in their food system and where family farmers could thrive, the one now where we're on the verge of bankruptcy and consumers uh, being denied healthy, uh, safe food. We, we, we strongly, uh, OCM works every day and we all share as staff and as board members uh, those kinds of values and that makes it not only personal, but gives us uh, more momentum to get up every day and, and to work hard uh, for justice within our food system. I think that's really interesting too. And I, I'm just kind of looking at your background, right? Um, you know, multi-generational hog farmer. Um, and then you're kind of talking about the impact of policy on farmers and how that was really real for your family. Were you kind of always interested in that connection as a young person? Like, where did that begin? That's just like something that's really interesting to me. Like, did, did you feel the policy was kind of the next thing that you, the direction that you needed to go to find impact? And then kind of what brought you from like multi-generational hog farmer, legislator, and then kind of taking a different path with OCM as a nonprofit organization and how do you, you know, kind of exert power and influence in those different spheres and spaces? Just well, interested in that. Growing up, uh, my, Steve, I've mentioned my brother, Steve, we're twins. And our dream in <laughs> right. life was to farm. It was a value set uh, in us by my, probably more influenced by my granddad because my dad would be out uh, driving the tractors and we, my brother and I would be helping uh, take care of the animals. And he instilled in us this sense of stewardship, this huge amount of responsibility that 
uh, independent family agriculture has as to the things it's been given to care for. And so I had this deep-seated value early uh, in my life as extended by my granddad and, and my dad. Um, and all we wanted to do was farm. Yeah. So growing up, I never dreamed I would be doing this. One day, they, uh, with changes in Washington, D.C., it became evident uh, that two, two of us wasn't going to be able to stay on the farm. I was going, and my brother was married, and, and so I, I was not at the time. And so I, I, I decided I was going to do something, and I got mad. Yeah. Uh, I got furious. Drives us to action sometimes, that, right? Yeah, I hate to say that, uh, but I would have <laughs> been happy to, you know, set on my feed bucket at, on my prairie farm and watch the sun up, come up and the sun go down. But I became furious that people, uh, policymakers, our elected officials, uh, would work against my interest uh, and, and deny me what I grew up as a small child on that prairie farm wanting to do. And I recognized that they made choices. This wasn't just natural occurrence. It's just, big just doesn't happen. Big is allowed to happen. Big agriculture has been uh, allowed to happen by our policymakers. Passing legislation that supports high, heavy subsidies for their practices, for their predatory, retaliatory, discriminatory practices, or their abuse of the land and the animals and the rural communities and the farmers, our policymakers make those choices daily. And so I got mad and I began to, I thought, well, the other thing I thought, to be honest, well, I'm as smart as those elected officials. So <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I went to work and ultimately ran for office. Uh, and, uh, and That's won. awesome. And uh, I encourage everybody listening, get mad when you go to the grocery store. Get angry when you go to the grocery store. Get angry when you see how little uh, 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 someone in the food sector's uh, wages are because of the concentration and the pressure. Get angry when you yeah. can't buy healthy food for your children. Get angry and sign up and do something about it because you can make a difference. Yeah, I, I, I love what you said. And I think that, you know, you do have this interesting experience of like, you know, growing up with your family, just having that farm experience and seeing how that influence, how consolidation influences people on a human level. And I think that the system exists in a way where we're really disconnected from our food and that's the way that folks want it. Like you mentioned, you have this illusion of diversity, illusion of choice. You see hundreds and thousands of brands that are on the shelf as you walk through the grocery store. But like you said, it's owned by four companies. And when four companies have that level of consolidation and abusive levels of power, what are they able to do and how are they able to influence the food that we eat? And it's set up in that way on purpose, right? To disconnect us from our food. And how do we, how do we turn the table on that? How do we begin to start to connect people with their food and to all of these complexities? I think it's a journey, but I, that's definitely why I am really excited about this bill that Equal Exchange is working on with you. So yeah, thank you for all your work. And I'm Really, really great story. Thank you, B. The one thing that's important to know is this legislation would just put a moratorium on these acquisitions and mergers and would establish a commission uh, so that we can study uh, these issues and the impact and the Congress and all of us can come together 
to have the solutions that work. Uh, we're, uh, we believe it's a low bar. Uh, it's a benchmark. It's the beginning. Uh, and we believe any U.S. Senator or any member of Congress that does not sign on to this bill and support this bill is really making a choice, a choice to support the demise of independent family agriculture and the injustice on the grocery store shelves for the consumers of the United States. Joe, my understanding is that your organization is bipartisan. Can you speak to that a little bit? You say any legislator should be signing on to this bill. Do you feel like this is an, an issue for people across the political spectrum? Absolutely. This is, this is not a partisan issue. Uh, this is really an issue um, uh, that affects uh, Democrats, Republicans, independents. Uh, it's an issue that's impacting the economies uh, within all states. It's an issue that's impacting consumers in every state. And we do not find our organization is uh, nonpartisan, uh, but we seek out bipartisanship on the support of the legislation. Uh, we understand that for some, it's a little tougher lift, uh, but we believe this is a benchmark. This is a, a place to start so that in a bipartisan way, uh, the US uh, Congress, House, the Senate can come together and find the solutions together uh, that restore uh, stewardship uh, within the marketplace, justice within the marketplace, and justice on the grocery store shelves. Awesome, thanks. I, I have a question um, that I think a lot of times when you talk about monopolies, you know, thinking about the commission and what, what kinds of things they'll be working on, you know, because consolidation of the food system is such a huge topic and there's so many different things that consolidation touches. A lot of people, they kind of focus on price, right? What is the price for consumer? I think that's definitely an important thing to think about. What, what other things can you imagine that the commission might focus on in regards to consolidation? Anything on like, you know, the, I know the diversity of the food that we're growing. And, you know, even if you look back, you know, not even a hundred years ago, the, the thousands of varietals of lettuce, for instance, right? And now how many, you know, I think it's, I saw some National Geographic chart, it was like down to 32. And, you know, what is that doing also for the nutrition of our food? I just wasn't sure if you thought that maybe the commission might focus on, you know, beyond price, what other types of things does consolidation touch that they might focus on? Absolutely. Well, first, um, big ag, industrial ag will tell you that um, they are driving efficiencies on behalf of consumers uh, to include price, lower prices. What we, what our evidence at uh, OCM shows uh, is that what they're driving is efficiencies that put money in their pockets. As we've seen a fewer and fewer companies uh, buying uh, agricultural goods, processing them into food for consumers. And there has been fewer and fewer within that food chain. Uh, we have seen consumer prices go up and farmer prices go down. Uh, there is not a direct supply and demand uh, fundamentals in operation. Uh, they're extracting the wealth from both uh, the farmer and their rural communities, as well as from the pocket 
of the consumer. So we know the evidence is there. We, we are calling on Congress uh, to take that evidence so the consumers aren't afraid that if it gets, uh, if we move back to more local and regional food systems, that their grocery prices are gonna go up where they can't afford them. What else needs to be looked at um, is the fact that farmers, um, um, back when my dad was farming, uh, were getting over 50% of the retail food dollar. Today, farmers are getting less than 15%. Wow, yeah, I had seen that statistic too, and that was, that was jarring. And the, the other thing that we want to look at is the harm that's caused when you have so few companies like the Bayer Monsanto's, the uh, Dow DuPont's, uh, uh, the Syngenta's uh, uh, with Kim China, you know, the controlling of the seed. We're coming to yeah. where it's becoming more monolithic type production. But within that, we're getting fewer and fewer varieties of seed. Yeah. Uh, which is opening us up to a disease to come in and having no food produced in the United States. Uh, we are very concerned at the, uh, the shortage of research and development, especially with the climate change and, and whether you're a Democrat or Republican and you look out your window, you have to admit there's extreme weather. And farmers are on the front line of that. And with these fewer companies, there's getting to be less and less research and development on, uh, on variety development uh, that can withstand the weather. So both threat of disease, uh, the threat, uh, the changes that we see uh, out there with our climate as we're trying to produce the food to feed our neighbors. Um, and these companies have zero incentive because there's no competition, because there's too few of them. They just carve up the country into sectors and they're the only one you can buy from. Wow. And so it's a threat to our national security. It's a threat to our future food security. Uh, and uh, so we want them to also take a look at that from a national security or a food security for this country. Uh, look, we also want to look at the how concentration, um, the Roosevelt uh, Institute did a great study uh, that shows with this heavy concentrate, these fewer and fewer companies uh, controlling the food system, that they now are controlling wages and depressing wages. Uh, and uh, our, um, whether you're a UFCW um, uh, member or any uh, union member, uh, you can attest that uh, you see the pressure on, on your wages and the threats that those companies bring, even against uh, uh, organized labor. Uh, in this country. And workers that aren't organized uh, find themselves making less and less. Uh, a processing, uh, food processing, uh, meat processing worker um, makes significantly less than a manufacturing worker because of this heavy concentration. You either take the job or you don't, and we're only paying this. And, the, and, and it really depressed wages across the country. So right, we're, we're all, the only game in town, so yeah. take it or leave it. Yeah. Take it or leave it. And uh, or a poultry contract grower, uh, the Pilgrims, the Puritans, uh, the, the others uh, control the uh, broiler industry. And that farmer no longer is even raising their own animals uh, or feeding uh, the animals their own feed. 
they just become a landlord or an owner of a building. They got millions of dollars borrowed uh, for the Tysons, the Puritans, the Pilgrims, any of those companies. And, and then there's no one else that'll rent that building. And taxpayers are subsidizing that industry, either through SBA, there's a government report out on how SBA put $1.8 billion into the uh, uh, poultry industry to, to benefit these large monopolies. Uh, uh, there's tax dollars that underwrite the loans so that the banks have no risk. The taxpayer take on the risk if that company stops leasing that building from the farmer. So the farmer uh, is on the line, the consumer and taxpayers on the line, and uh, um, we think it ought to, they ought to take a look about fair um, uh, arrangements with these contract poultry growers and contract uh, pig growers. I find this extremely sobering and convincing, and I think anybody listening probably will as well. But it seems to me like a big challenge here, Joe, is just misinformation or lack of information. When there are multiple labels out there, you feel like you have a choice in the grocery store. Uh, A lot of brands are trying to cast themselves as being, you know, local farmers in some way, despite the fact that they're not. How can, what can people do to tell their neighbors about this? How can we I'm not sure everybody recognizes this is the problem that it is. Well, first of all, they should go to competitivemarkets.com and take a look. We, um, Angela, I've been on our team as director of communications and research, is a master at taking some of these complex issues um, and drilling it down where it can be comprehended. And that's extremely important. I get a little too much in the weeds, unfortunately, but she does a great job on that page. And I think anyone will find it uh, digestible and understandable. Uh, the second thing is, is that we find is it sounds so bad. Uh, <laughs> no one believes not. I, we hear all time. Well, that can't be happening here in America. Oh yes, it is. It's not the <laughs> land of the free anymore. And the opportunity to, to start your small business uh, in your rural community or in your urban or suburban community. And it, it, it's not, uh, we don't, we have lost freedom. There's grave injustices within our economic system. Uh, OCM believes what is important is not, uh, as some try to get caught up in this concept of redistribution of wealth. No, we need a fair and equitable distribution of the opportunity for prosperity that represents America. When we help build that prosperity, whether you're the worker, the farmer, or the business owner, we help build that prosperity. Everyone uh, deserves uh, the, it has a right to share in that prosperity. And we're all being denied that today. And this work, uh, putting a stop on, on these mega uh, mergers, uh, taking a look at our economic system, and ensuring that there's a fair and equitable distribution uh, to all. One of the notes I want to I want to put a big note on this one. Um, you know, uh, the communities of color in agriculture have suffered for generations and have been denied opportunity. And as we take a look at this, we need to make sure that when we say economic opportunity for all or justice for all. We really mean this time in America for all. Thank you for saying that. I find that incredibly powerful. 
Thanks, Joe. This is just all these things are just swirling around in my mind. Really excited to be working with OCM on some of the campaigns. Um, I'm going to put a lot of this information that Joe has talked about in the show notes so you can stay connected, stay informed. I definitely uh, would love um, folks to, you know, join us, right? Like get involved in this campaign, like Joe's saying, like get mad. So definitely uh, stay tuned. Equal Exchange is going to be working on this campaign. If you want to get involved, you can join organizing with Equal Exchange and we work with OCM a lot. You can connect with OCM directly. And I would also like to say that Equal Exchange is having an annual summit and that will be June 20th to 22nd at Wheaton College in Massachusetts. And we'll be doing a lot of this work and how it's it's important to stay informed. It's important to really be in tune with the conversation that Joe and I have had today. But I think that what Equal Exchange wants to do is to connect individuals to what they can actually do and empower them to feel as though they actually can create change in the food system and that you're, it's not just your dollar that matters, it's your voice that matters, it's your, your political voice. And we want to try to elevate that and encourage folks to use that um, as much as possible. And I just want to thank you so much, Joe. And I don't know if there's anything you have to add on like how folks can stay connected, but um, we'll definitely put any resources or information that you suggest in our show notes. Well, we appreciate your partnership in this effort. Uh, we would suggest that folks go to competitivemarkets.com uh, learn more, sign up. There's petitions on there. Uh, let's work together. Let's put our voices together and unite for uh, an economic uh, change uh, in, in the way in which we approach our food system. And let's ensure it's justice for all. Thank right you, on. Joe. You've been a fantastic <laughs> guest. We're so lucky to have had you on here. Thank you very much. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for listening to The Stories Behind Our Food, a podcast by Equal Exchange, Inc., a worker-owned cooperative. Love this episode? Please subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Be sure to visit equalexchange.coop to join the conversation, purchase products, and learn more about small-scale farmers and the global supply chain. This episode was produced by Equal Exchange with hosts Kate Chess and Danielle Robideau. Sound engineering provided by Gary Goodman. Join us next time for another edition of The Stories Behind Our Food.